0: Morning. Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. I had the cool opportunity to do a, uh, to officiate a, a wedding yesterday that was so beautiful. And I typically don't go into officiating weddings with the mindset of, like, this is going to be beautiful. You don't go into them with the mindset of, like, this should be over in, like, seven minutes, you know? (laughs) It was so, so cool. So cool. Just to give you an idea on how old-fashioned they went with this, just some of the deep, rich tradition. Do you remember the conversation in the Song of Solomon where we talked about the rose of sharon and the lily of the valley and how she responds to him and she says he says our rafters are our rafters are cedars and our roof is fur something like that and then she says i'm the rose of sharon i'm the lily of the valley which basically comes back to the rose of sharon sprouts up out of the sand it doesn't need much it's resilient the lily of the valley exists in the valley floor where it's so cold and everything freezes so what she is basically saying is I'm tougher than battery acid. I'm in this for the long haul. Like, you can count on me. This couple went through the marriage the marriage counseling stuff uh, with them. Uh, they created a Rose of Sharon ceremony based on that to where they planted a Rose of Sharon at the property where they live during the service. Really cool. He had a heart uh, cutout shaped... Piece of material from his mother's wedding dress sewn inside his coat. She had a patch from her mother's wedding dress sewn onto her wedding dress. Like I was overwhelmed with just so much, you know, wonderful, beautiful um, ceremony and expression and creativity. I thought it was so cool. So, and and to make it even worse, she's beautiful, okay, and his name is Bronk Angel. <laughs> really? Like, hit the frickin' lottery right there, you know? <laughs> What's your name? Bronk Angel. It's like he's says, he could be a secret agent, he could be a race car driver, he could be <laughs> a bull rider, he could be anything he wants to be. It's disgusting. He disgusts me. If he listens to Bronk, you disgust me, all right? Beautiful, wonderful, sweet, sweet couple. So, congratulations to them. Also, congratulations to Maggie Mivas and Logan Weirich. They got engaged this last weekend. <laughs> well done well done it was good you sly dog you were so sneaky you were so sneaky she was she was completely taken back by it It was great it's about freaking time you know we held a special prayer meeting about that for a while here you know i just want you to know that we're just like lord please speak to logan or have him listen. So thank you. Thank you for finally getting that done. We can those prayer meetings were getting boring, you know. You over and over and over and over. Life is in the details. It's in the very fine details. Just like good stories. It's in the fine details. It's the it's the little bitty things that just really speak to you. It's, it's walking down the sidewalk and feeling that little hand reach up and grab yours. Those little details, you know. Because there's a time they get bigger. And guess what? They won't do it. But my little one, she still does it. She holds it. It's in the details. It's those stories that <laughs> they are just perfect. And the story is told and you hear the story and you laugh about it. And you can see the thing unfolding, right? You can see the situation unfolding. And it doesn't matter how many times you hear the story. You just see the same thing every time. Life is in the details. It's like the details are the little connecting pieces. Creating like this patchwork quilt. Of life experiences and you know when you're having those experiences you know when you're because the situation just seems elevated above all the other normal things that go on it's just you're sitting there with friends and a story begins to happen or a situation unfolds and you know that this is one of those moments like we will look back on this moment this is one of those moments we will look back on this moment life is in the details one of the reasons i love the gospel of john is that very thing His attention to detail is perfect. It's perfect. He points to things that you and I would maybe just go right by. In fact, the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels the synoptic gospels they will pick up on they've got their own variation they've got their own tilt but the gospel of John is it's by itself it doesn't follow the same pattern as Matthew Mark and Luke John begins a story here and then he takes it back to creation then he runs all the way back to the book of Revelation and he says it was kind of like his feet were on fire it was like a sea of glass you know he was in the beginning you know John has just got this detail. Nicodemus came to Jesus. When did he come? At night. Oh, is that important? It's there. Today's today's story is one that the other gospel writers write about. But John's detail, John's detail to this one, tells us stuff we don't get from the other writers. If you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 2 starting in verse excuse me, 13 when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover Jesus went up to Jerusalem I don't know if you know this or not but Jerusalem is always up I don't care if you're north of Jerusalem or south of Jerusalem Jerusalem is always up I don't care where you are, geographically on a map, when people go to Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem. There's two reasons. One, because of elevation. You go up to Jerusalem. From whatever angle you're coming in, you go up. The other reason is this. You always go up to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is just up. You go up to Jerusalem. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The Jews then responded, what sign can you give us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you say you'll put it back together in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his own body. John slides out there for us. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled that he had said that. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, back to the story. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person passover feast is the most important holiday for the jews it celebrates their greatest greatest thing it was that moment they got freed from egypt i don't know if you know the story let me give you a quick recap moses was born into slavery the hebrew people had a bad habit of not keeping god's commands bad habit. Not like us. (laughs) But they did keep one command well. Be fruitful and multiply. And in captivity, they did that especially well. And the numbers grew and grew and grew and grew. And Pharaoh began to notice that the population of the Hebrew people compared to the population of the Egyptian people was just getting a little out of control. Like these people could overtake us. So to put a dent in all of that, he sends out a decree that says, kill every male born of a Hebrew woman. And so the Egyptian soldiers roamed through, taking babies and throwing them into the Nile. Moses' mother heard this was happening and she did something herself. She went and threw him in the the Nile on her own. Well, I don't need Egyptian, Egyptian soldiers to do that. She put a basket together. She put pitch all over it. She stuck little baby Moses in it and sent him a sail right down the Nile. Have you seen the hippos and the crocodiles in the Nile? (whistles) Providentially, the basket floats up on the banks of Pharaoh's daughter's house. And she sees this little baby and she does the thing that most women do when they see a baby. Oh, I should keep it. (laughs) It doesn't belong to you. I should still keep it. It should be mine. I should name it and feed it and make it all mine. No. And she says, I'm going to keep it. She does. And Moses is raised in the palace. Weird, weird set of circumstances and strange events begin to unfold in his life. He comes to the knowledge that he doesn't really belong to who he belongs to, that maybe he was somebody else before. And a situation unfolds, and he kills a man. He goes on the run, he becomes a shepherd. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before. Have you ever had a job to where you thought to yourself, I wish I had a different job. I'll just go bag groceries. I'll pump gas. I want a different job. The, I don't want any more responsibility. I just want to be a guy at a place that does a thing and don't have to worry. Moses becomes a shepherd. Well, he was a leader there. But it's a real confusing job when you're trying to lead people to beat up on the people from where you came from originally but you're not them anymore now you're, it's just a whole lot of identity that gets screwed up in all of this and Moses runs from, from this whole situation and it's while he's being a shepherd, which ironically to me anytime somebody takes on the life of a shepherd it seems as if they're destined for greatness does it not? like when you take on that humble role it's like God's like perfect Talking to a buddy of mine the other day, he says, I'm thinking about going into ministry, to which I said, you'd be great at it. He said, but I don't know what it is about me that God would look at me and say, you should go into ministry. And I said, that, that's the thing. The minute you get to that place, you know who scares me? I should go into ministry. I think I'd be great at it. Please don't go into ministry. We really like insecure, kind of doubtful people like to kind of come into it and be like, oh, you can follow me if you want. I'll probably get us lost, but come on. <laughs> like to me, that's so much easier to follow. Well, I'll go with that guy. At least he's honest. I mean, if we're lost, we're lost. At least we know we're lost, you know? What's the thing that God would, you, why would he call me? Because of that deal. That thing. It's there that he encounters the burning bush. God speaks to him. Mm. Here's one of the things I don't like about God the most. It's this: sometimes He calls you back to the place you came from. Ah, oh, you know, back to that relationship that you like. I quit on that. I wrote them off. I cut them off. Yeah, you need to go. You need to go fix that. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, humble yourself and go, go back to that. Sometimes it's returning to that place of humility again, that place of repentance. Well, you were there before, but then you kind of got out of practice and now you're lost in the, in the weeds again and you've got to go back and you've got to start admitting that you're messed up. Nobody likes that. God looks at Moses and says, I need you to go back to Egypt. It's like, I'm a wanted man. I'm in all the post offices. I'm not... I can't go back there. It's it will be fine. Yeah, it's easy for you to say, you know. Yeah, I need you to go back, yeah, but it's not just—it's not just for that. I need you to get the rest of the rest of my people. Oh yeah, that should go over well, you know. I mean, generation after generation after generation of pharaohs have been inheriting Hebrews. They've got slaves for days. You're just going to march in there and say, we'd like to undercut your entire economy. Do you mind? The answer is no. You can't have them. Go away. And Moses tries to put his plea before God, tries to convince God of it. But God just doesn't listen sometimes. Have you noticed? Just won't see it your way. And he says, you'll be fine. He says, but, 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 sometimes I stutter. And he says, Okay, your brother seems like he's a pretty good speaker. We'll get him involved. It's like, (laughs) okay. So they go together. Nine cataclysmic events unfold in Egypt. Nine of them. God brings them all on. Nine cataclysmic events called plagues hit the Egyptian people. Any of those, any one of those would have convinced me, especially frogs, you know, freaking frogs everywhere you walk I stepped on a cricket in the middle of the night the other day I was yucky all night long inside my head (laughs) like I don't even know where it was I don't know what room it was in it was room temperature my feet didn't feel it for a minute and then later on it was like I think I oh oh it's a cricket on my this is terrible but frogs everywhere you go that's yucky no. But Pharaoh won't budge. No. You're not taking the people. Move on. you got to admit, he's tough. I mean, he endures a lot. And he will not, not take a step back. And then, the last one comes. Moses showed up and he said, look, here's the thing. If you don't let the people go... There's a tenth one that's coming and it's the worst. He said, yeah, so I'm not scared of your plagues. He said, here's the deal though. The firstborn of everything, everything inside of Egypt is going to die. The firstborn of everything. Livestock, children, adults. The firstborn of everything is going to die. Let the people go, please, so God doesn't smash you. You're not getting the people. Moses goes to the Hebrew people in slavery and he says, here's the deal. The angel of death is going to pass through Egypt and it's going to kill every single firstborn, everything. The only way that you can get around this deal is if you take a lamb and you sacrifice it and you paint your doorposts. And when the angel of death comes through, he will pass over your house. To be safe. The night comes, angel of death comes, it sees the blood on the doorpost of the people who believed Moses' words. And it goes through and it slaughters everything else. Pharaoh's firstborn son dies that night. He wakes in the morning, he's absolutely distraught, he's broken to pieces. He looks at Moses and he says Take your people. Take them. The Hebrew people march out of Egypt with riches, with gold, with treasure, because God's faithful. You see, when you go up to Jerusalem for Passover, do you know what you do? You go back to your ancestors, you go back to that time period to where they believed God and they did that one thing and God passed over and you saw God act on your behalf. What it meant was you're not forgotten. He remembers you. When you go to Passover, it's to remind you that you have been remembered. Passover is this opportunity for you to go make sacrifice and in some weird way thank God that you can push your sins back with your sacrifice. They're not gone, but you can push them back. Passover, such an important time. And the temple, the temple, such an important place. I don't know if you realize this or not, but it would have been 18 years to the day that Jesus went up there to Jerusalem with his disciples. 18 years to the day before then, that he was there in the temple when he was 12 years old and mommy and daddy lost him. Remember? In the hustle and the bustle, they left the feast of Passover and they're all caravanning out of town. It looks like a mass exodus. There's a ton of family and everybody's tired and they've been up there in Jerusalem for so long and they head back on this arduous journey And everybody's just like, is everyone here? Is everyone here? It's like home alone, except in the first century, you know? Where's Kevin? Has anyone seen Kevin? And we lost Jesus. I don't know if you have ever been in a grocery store and one of your children have wandered off or anywhere and your children have wandered off. When Allie was two or three, she made it out the front door And around the side and then into the backyard. Or maybe it was the backyard and then into the front yard. I don't know which it was. But I tell you what, I hurt my hand so bad. Spanking her. (laughs) Because I was so terrified. Terrified. They couldn't find him. Now, he was 12 years old. And it seems to me that maybe 12 would be a little bit a little bit maybe that's a pretty heavy pretty heavy-handed panic you know because mary finally finds him she's in the temple and she rushes in and she looks at jesus and she says why have you treated your father and i like this and he's like what and she says why have you treated us like this we have been anxiously searching for you everywhere and he says why did you search for me would have popped him in the mouth right then. <laughs> Why am I... Get in the wagon, you know. Get on the donkey. We're going home. You're, you're walking. I'm taking the donkey. Why were you searching for me? And then he says this. Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? And then Luke writes, they did not know what, she, what he was talking about. Like... He said it, and they were like, what? It's the most confusing thing I've ever Your father's house, yeah. Okay. He's always been a little weird, you know? And off they went. Would have been 18 years prior. But when she found him there, do you remember what he was doing? He was reading and asking questions and talking with the teachers of the law. The same ones who opposed him during his ministry. The same group maybe not the same individuals but the same group of people when he's 12 years old he's sitting with them and he's having these conversations and can you see the look on these older men's faces looking at this 12 year old who's asking them all these just really pointed questions everybody's gone home jerusalem is kind of emptied out and it's just jesus and these teachers of the law and maybe a few pharisees maybe a few sadducees and they're all just kind of sitting around, and they're looking at this little 12-year-old guy. You know when you come in contact with a kid who's just special, right? You get around to me like, that kid is really special. And these old men are looking at him and talking to him, and then mom shows up, and they're trying to kind of dampen down the business a little bit. She's like, where have you been? And they're like, hey, 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 he's a good kid. He's a good kid. He's a pretty special kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think it'd be like if I lost him, huh? <laughs> temple is important and here's what it takes me back to how important was the temple to Jesus did you go to church camp did you go to church camp growing up do you remember that place is it positive feelings is it good feelings do you ever remember saying I don't want to go home do you remember those places that you would go those experiences that you would have And they just burn something in you. It's not even like a memory. They're so vivid. It's like you get to relive them as you put it through your mind. And the temple, I think, was like that for Jesus. So here he is, 18 years after his mother and father left him in Jerusalem. He's here. He's always gone back to the temple for the feast of Passover. And now he goes back up and he's seen that the culture has shifted. Something's changed. And as he walks into the temple, you would have walked straight into the court of the Gentiles. For the Gentiles who decided to assimilate into Judaism, this was their court, and this was God's grace, that he would even allow the Gentiles a place to go and worship. They had their own court. Now, it wasn't the inner side of the court. You couldn't get in close where the men, the Jewish men were. This was the court of the Gentiles. That was God extending his hand saying, you know what? I've come for all nations, I have my people and they are here, but I will accept you too. Come on in. And there in the court of the Gentiles, there's cattle, there's sheep. There's everything that comes with cattle and sheep. It's overwhelming the senses right there in the court of the Gentiles. And I wonder if Jesus didn't walk through and look at it and think to himself, I believe that I was sent to be a light to the Gentiles, right? And now I'm forcing them, they're being forced to share space with livestock? God cares about these people more than this. Did he look over at the cages of the doves? You notice it's specific. To those who had the doves. Read it, it's there. To those who were selling doves, he said, get them out of here. Is there a bigger or better metaphor? But what happens when churches become these institutions and these things that lob people with responsibility and condemnation and law, and we burden them? You know what we do in that process? We take the Holy Spirit and we cage it up. And is that what happened? Did Jesus walk in and look and see that the Holy Spirit had completely been caged? Put behind bars? God's house is no longer what God's house was intended to be? But only John marks this detail. As he is walking through looking at the temple court smelling the smells listening to the lowing of cattle and the bleating of sheep he's picking stuff up and maybe at first glance you're thinking to yourself he's trying to kind of pretty up the place you know what is it is, his father's house that's not what he's doing he's picking stuff up the word is reeds or rushes it's the great, big, huge, long plant stems, these big plant leaves. know what they do with them is they make lead ropes out of them. They make ropes for boats out of them. And Jesus is picking these up and he's weaving them together while he's looking at everything that's going on in here. This is premeditated, I might add. Jesus anger is premeditated. His action? He's thinking this through. Someone's getting whipped. And he begins to weave these deals together. And then it all comes uncorked. You know what's interesting? I got a set of commentaries, a few sets of commentaries that I love to use because they're just so thorough. And I'll read through and I'll learn a whole lot of stuff about different parts of the passage, different words. I've got one set of commentaries that it attacks everything from a strict Jewish perspective. You know what they did with this story? Threw it out. Threw it completely out. John chapter two, wedding at Cana. Uh, John chapter three, Nicodemus. No, Jesus cleansing the temple. I understand why. What do you do with an angry Messiah? We like the one where Jesus has is getting his senior pictures taken, don't we? We like that one with his hair. Those are the Jesuses we like. Those are the one we like. We'll put a little light on him. We'll set him on the deal. Put a little light above it where it shines right on him. It looks like a halo. That's the ones we like. We like him meek and mild. We like him like Ricky Bobby likes him, you know? That's how we like our Jesus. What do you do with an angry Messiah. I don't know. There's something about this righteous indignation that kind of speaks to me. You ever seen a situation go down? It something needed something needed to happen. You needed to act, and you knew it wasn't going to be pretty. But something had to be happen. Something had to happen. You didn't know what, but something. Anything ever just got to you on that level, to where it's like, "Yep, done." and what's interesting is it never says that Jesus sins in this process in fact they put it in scripture as if he's just done a wonderful thing and I think he has well isn't it a sin to get angry oh absolutely not it's not a sin to get angry where did your emotions come from God gave them to you God says himself I can be very angry quite a bit myself I am a jealous God So is that emotion okay well absolutely all your emotions are okay now what they make you do or what you let them direct you to do eh, that's your fault but to have the emotion that's human that's humanity we were created in the image of god he has them all as well and jesus comes undone it's interesting It's like it's just eating at him. He says that he drives all the cattle, all the livestock out into the street. Just drives them all out. Drives out the people who have and are keeping them. Those who are collecting all the money and they're exchanging. You want to hear the hypocrisy. You know what stunk more than the temple court floor? The hypocrisy of the whole thing. Here's the deal. The temple would only accept temple currency. And so if you showed up with a bunch of Roman currency because that's how you got paid and you showed up there and you wanted to buy your sacrifice, you couldn't buy your sacrifice with Roman money because the temple would not accept Roman money. But you know what we would do? We set up a little booth over here and it's kind of like Chuck E. Cheese. You take your money and you put it in and it gives you back a bunch of little big-eared mouse coins and you can use those. The hypocrisy of the whole thing is ridiculous because it comes with a cost. Three quarters for a dollar. Three quarters for a dollar. The temple's going to make their money. Well, we won't accept Roman currency. You can exchange it at one of our nice little booths over here. Are you not accepting Roman currency over at the nice little booth? Well, that's different. You don't buy your sacrifices there. You buy your sacrifices here. Seven and a half feet away. The hypocrisy of it. Jesus goes over, tips their tables over. You know how bad I want to just fling one of these chairs over just for the effect of it, you know? Just for the noise of it. I won't because I'll spill something. But But just the crashing of it all. All these nice little stacks of coins. These little pencil-pushing accountants over here. (laughs) Looking at all their money, adding it all up. Jesus comes over. (laughs) Nickels and dimes all over the floor. You don't mess with people's money, Jesus. Jesus says, I'll do whatever I want. All right, that's fine. Tips over the tables. Gets the doves out of the cages. Kicks everything out of the temple. And then John comes in with this line, and it's so perfect. Then his disciples remembered that it is written in Psalm 69. Zeal for your house will consume me. Consume me, you know what the word is? Eat me alive. Zeal for your house will eat me alive. The temple, this is my place. This is my father's place. This is a special place. And you come in here and you make yourself at home? This isn't where you make yourself at home. Now listen, you stick around church too long after, you know, on Sundays, you'll catch us riding scooters, having races. There's a lot of nonsense that goes on in here. No livestock yet, you know. We will have some scooter races in here. Jesus says, You make yourself at home in my father's house. This is my father's house. Are you kidding me? The Jewish leaders. The big dogs they come running out of the back. Excuse me, excuse me. Sir, sir, sir. Hey, sorry. um, Who said you could do this? Who said you could come in here and do all this? You have some sort of authority? You know what's interesting to me is they didn't say We didn't turn your father's house into a market. They didn't deny it. They didn't say, oh, ha. Oh, you can't do this? We didn't know. They didn't say any of that. What they said was, prove it. Prove it. What kind of authority do you have to come in here and tell me how to live my life? It's what I've said before. You know what bothers me about the Christian Christian, um, experience? is that I don't mind God coming into my life and speaking to me and telling me where I need to change. What I do mind is if He uses you to do it. You keep your business to you. Don't come tell me how I'm out That's where we get off course and these guys do the same thing. Hold on. Do you have some sort of authority that you can come in here and you can boss us and you can tell us this? Well, the answer is, of course, yes, because Jesus could have pulled fire from the core of the earth. He could have taken all the money that was there on the floor and said, oh, you want a miracle? How about this? And turn all of it into roaches and then just watch it just go. Like he could have. And as all the money just scrambles away, these guys are like, I don't know. <laughs> but they don't. He doesn't do anything. They want to know what kind of thing can you do to prove that you can boss me around. You know what scares me about the church? I don't mean this church, but I just mean the church in general in America. You know what scares me about it? And people's uh, sentiment about religion and who God is and and the relationship. Here's the thing that bothers me the the most about the church, I think, is that we don't really handle God any differently than they do. God... Give me a sign. Prove it. Prove it that you want me to do something different. Is it not simple enough that it crossed your mind you should do something different? That you need a sign to do something different? The fact that it was already on your mind isn't enough? I need a sign so that I can know that doing the right thing is the right thing to do. Really, a sign. It's this kind of deal to where we only take grandma, our big items, on the Christmas list, right? You only take those to grandma. Well, you can't give them to your mom and dad. You gotta give them to grandma. I don't know what your relationship with your grandmother was. Here's what, here's what, here's what mine was. Grandma bought the big stuff. You don't take and put out there a brand new skateboard for mom and dad. You know you're getting blue jeans you don't do that take the skateboard clipping from the JCPenney magazine to grandma you show her and make sure the number's on there so she can order it that's what you do. you kidding me and that's how we approach God the same way God I think I got most of this I think I can man most of this stuff right in here unless something gets real big and then all of a sudden it's okay Lord we need to talk I need some help. We only take God the big items? Really? You know what happens a lot of times? And Luke and I have had this conversation with different individuals who've come through the door. They'll come through the door. And a lot of times, it's the repeat customers. It's the same people over and over, and they need help. And they're trying to get their life together. And we want to help them. And we'll sit down with them, and we'll visit with them, and we'll spend a week at a time with them. And day in, day out, they'll come in, and we'll talk to them. We'll help them get the utility set up. We'll help them work it off. Help them come and do this different kind of stuff. And then once they're all set up and everything's good, man, you know what happens? It's so awesome and so predictable. Disappear. Gone. Do you know when they come back? About six months later when the wheels have completely fallen off. They only come here when things are good and they only come here when things are bad. There's no in-between relationship. There's no just, how's things going? Good. How are you? Good. You want to get lunch? Let's get lunch. There's no in-between, just normal kind of day-in, day-out relationship like I have with normal people. Every single time I see him, it's tragedy. It's only two times we think about God when things are going really, really bad or when things are going really, really bad. And that's it. And we've had this conversation, we've squared these guys off, and some of these guys, it's really. Right. you only come around here when things are broken you only come, you're not my friend you know it's just dog custom. it's pretty bad you, know? you only come around when you know good and well that you know, things are falling apart and you got no other option and, and it's too bad because I'm a whale of a friend but you gotta stick in the game you gotta stay there We could do a lot for you. I got a bunch of people in this church that could really, really help you if you would just stay the course. Can't do it. Can't stay the course. Can't do it. Now, I treat God the same exact way. We got no in-between relationship. I don't wake up on a Wednesday and be like, hey, God, it's Wednesday. You know what? Everything is freaking good. I don't need anything. Protect my babies and, you know... Man, I just appreciate all you've done for me. You know, I need to make a list. I need to make a list. You know, I got a good job, man. I'm surrounded by great people. You know what, Lord? I drive a truck that, man, it's a 2002, but golly, you know, works. That's good. Lord, my wife is pretty. You didn't have to do that. You did that. I appreciate that. My kids are good don't wake up on a random Wednesday and just be thankful. You know what I do? I wake up on a random Wednesday and I think, how can I make my situation even better than it is now? And I go to grabbing and clawing it more. I get so myopic. It's about me, 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 me. I forget about him. And then when the wheels fall off, you know what happens? Here I come. And I'm, I'm the guy who can't pay his rent, comes running into the church, and the Lord's looking at me going, you're going to get dog cussed. You know that, right? You only come around when things are bad. No, he doesn't. He accepts me. He listens to me. We do the same thing. Is it just the miracles? God, prove it to me. God, prove it to me. God, prove it to me. Jesus' response, and of course, it's John's perfect writing that just encapsulates all this you read it and you know exactly he's not talking about the temple you know he's not talking about the temple but yet they can't get their mind off of the temple what are you going to do to prove what are you going to do to prove that you got the authority to do this and jesus says destroy the temple and in three days i'll have it rebuilt he said three days three days. you say three days you know every Christian should be like three you're gonna get it you're gonna get it he's gonna move that great big rock and he's gonna come walking out there you're gonna be scared for your life it's gonna do it <laughs> right over their head three days the last time the temple was ravaged in war it took us 46 years to put it back together again you got to do in three days. I heard you're a carpenter, but come on, please. Really, you're that good? Then John comes in, flies in from out of outside the realms of time and space. He comes flying in and he says, "At the resurrection, he takes you all the way back to the end." At the resurrection, the disciples were like, "Oh, that's what he was talking about when he said that." He said destroy the temple and in three days he wasn't peter he wasn't even talking about the temple he's like i freaking know that already i'm peter i'm like yeah but can you believe that like it was three he said that man that guy's been thinking about this forever and i think that's a good point here he is in the temple defending his father's honor and, and and keeping the temple from being desecrated And what's he thinking about? The cross. You. Me. Wow. You catch me on a bad day, I'm not thinking about you, I promise. He is. It's all in the details. I'm going to point out a few things, then we'll close up. I love this story. A few things I just want to point out. The word religious man or religious or religion has been tainted and beat up and used as a bad word. You know, he's just kind of one of those religious people. It's a religious, it's religious, you know. I'm not real big into religion. Religion, I'm a pretty spiritual guy, but I'm not really big into religion. Okay, well, let me ask you this. If you show me somebody who is very, very successful, then I will show you somebody who is very religious. Because religious has to do with how you do things. You know what? You cannot have a relationship with God if there is not some element of you that is religious. You can't. Because here's what happened to the word. The word was made to mean stuffy, Christian, mind your business, bow at the right time, make sure you wear the right clothes, religious, don't drink, don't swear, don't, religious, this thing. They narrowed it all the way down to where it's kind of a better than you type of thing and that's what they did with the word. Religious means it's the thing that you do repeatedly and that you care about and that you think about. Which sounds an awful lot like the New Testament if you're asking me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. That sounds very religious to me. Jesus was a religious man. He went to the feast of Passover. He participated. He got there and defended his his father's house. Jesus was a religious man. You should be a religious man too. You should be a religious woman. If we spend a lot of time being religious and chasing after our relationship with God and being religious about chasing after our relationship with God, do you think our world would look differently? Do you think we would look differently? Do you think the church would look differently? I think it would. Jesus was a religious man. Let's bring the word back. Do you mind? Can we bring it back? Can we hashtag religious? Can we? Make a trend a little. Is that all right? It's a good word. Some of you are very religious about what you do. You're religious in the way you work. You're religious in the way you care for your family. How is that bad? It's not bad. Jesus was a religious man. And I admire that. He was there 18 years prior. He'd been going since he was little. And it meant something to him. The second one, he was a man of fire and conviction. There's times to where it's okay to just uncork. You know what I mean? there's a time for that in the defense of other people there's a time for that jesus was a man of fire and conviction they had crossed the line and jesus was not going to have it anymore too far you know what's interesting to me is the phrase is this here's the phrase To those who sold the doves, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Destroy this temple and I will raise it again. One of the versions that I had read earlier this week said, Stop turning my father's house into a market. Stop turning it into a market. Meaning, I saw you suckers do this once before. Stop doing this. Here's what else is interesting. John records this happening in the very front side of Jesus' ministry. Do you know when Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded at the end of the ministry? Did this happen two or three times in the life of Jesus? Did they begin to plan for this after it happened the first time? All of those people who bring them all in, they're like, listen, you know that one guy from Nazareth is coming? He always comes. And every time he does, he tips over all the coins. He pushes everything off onto the floor. Don't bring the cows in here until after 11. He'll be gone by 11. Is this what they did? Was this a normal thing? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke say this happened at the end of his ministry. John says, this happened in the beginning of the ministry. This may have been a thing that happened on a regular basis. And Jesus says, stop doing this. He was a man of fire and conviction. I appreciate that. He was also a man of high relationship standards. Are you listening close? Some of you singles in here. Listen close, you singles. High relationship standards. He did not entrust himself to all of them. Why? Because he knew what was in a man. The same is true for us. There seems to be a lot going on in politics right now. Is that true? Have you noticed? A lot. He did it. She's lying. He did it she's lying I don't even care what camp you're in check this out you need to ask yourself a few questions when it comes to these kind of decisions and where you're gonna put yourself and when you go to the polls and when it's time to vote when you go to your little booth here's a few things you need to think about are you voting for the group of people and the rights you think everyone deserves Or are you voting differently? Let me offer you a little bit of advice. I don't know if you know this or not, but recently we've had the gag order taken off of us as ministers that we can talk about politics in church now. I promise I won't make it a habit. But that was a thing that was done just in this last couple of years. We could not talk about politics within the church. Now we can. Again, I promise you I won't overdo it. Here's my advice. The next time you go and vote, ask this question. Would you trust the person you're voting for, would you trust them with your ATM pin number? Okay? Would you trust them to babysit your children? Would you trust them to be alone with your wife? Would you trust them to be alone with your husband? If you answer no, to any of those things, maybe vote different. I don't care what your party line is. Maybe back yourself up and start saying, maybe I'm in the wrong group. What's important to you? What happens in politics is we become so lazy with our standards of how we're going to vote that we will vote for things that have just been that way for so long that we're just like, eh, I don't want to really change anything about it. I don't want to have to learn something new. I don't want to have to Google another name that I don't know. just going to vote with whose sign I like the most. Ask yourself a few of those hard questions. Jesus was a man of high relationship standards. He did not entrust himself to everyone he came in contact with. He had his disciples. He had his brothers. He had his mother. And these people came and they believed in his name. And it says, but he did not entrust himself to them, for he knew what was in a man. You've got to look deep inside. You've got to really pray for discernment when it comes to who you let inside your circle or who you affiliate with, who you identify with. You've got to ask yourself hard questions. Otherwise, your standards are too low. Are you that easy? Really? Really? It's like, oh, my mom has always voted Democrat, so I just vote Democrat. Really? You're lazy. You're lazy. Maybe look into it, see if that's really true, if that's really what you believe. Well, I've always been a Republican. Really? For what reason? I don't know, my dad said I was. Oh, perfect. Your dad said you was a goose, too. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Come on. You've gotta do your own homework. Jesus had these standards. He wasn't going to entrust himself to people who said, Jesus, I believe in your name. Okay, good. Keep your distance. You know what I love when I shake hands with a man? Because sometimes I shake hands with a guy, and it's a good handshake. And see this, is, see this bent elbow right here? I don't know if you see this. A little bent elbow like this. You know the ones that I really admire? These. This guy? You know what I mean? Here's what this means. It means this. Stay right there. Space. <laughs> Keep your space. This is what it is. Thank you. I love it. That's Jesus. Good to meet you. Stay right there. We'll see how this goes in the future. Some of us will. (laughs) Jesus. That's not how this works. Jesus had high relationship standards. Fourth one is this and the last one. He was a man who never lost sight of his goal. When told to produce a miracle, he says, I will produce a miracle. But it won't be here won't be here. It'll be a Golgotha. And there I'll die. And then I'll resurrect. And he didn't lose sight of the goal. What is the main purpose that God has created you? Do you know? Do you know what it is? Imagine what it would be like if every single one of us in this room woke up in the morning and went, I know exactly what God is having me do today. And we went and we attacked it with all of the zeal and all of the character and all of the realness that God provides inside of our life. All the comfort, everything we need. We wake up in the morning, I'm like, I know what God wants me to do today. But unfortunately, a lot of us don't have that. A lot of us don't feel that. Like I don't know what it is. Ask God what that is. Jesus never lost sight of that goal. Here he's being accosted and confronted by these people who are saying, "Can you produce something to prove that you are who you say you are and that you've got the authority to do this?" If I were Jesus, I would have done it right there on the spot. Yeah, how about this? Crisp that one dude right beside him. Just burn him up. Jesus never lost sight of the goal. Never lost sight of the goal. Life is in the details, and Jesus' details were us. Read your passage from the first, from the first uh, chapter of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Check this one out. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. You. Who drove him? You. To him, life is in the details. It's that moment to where he gets to walk down the sidewalk and we get to come up and take his hand. And that's what he's asking us to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for everything you've done for us. Lord, we pray that you will bless our day. Lord, be with us. Lord, show us the purpose that we need in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good afternoon.